Welcome to Saga Thing, where we are finally putting a saga of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. This is episode 12 of our Njal series, and for all you math nerds out there, 12 is a sublime number. 12 Andy. for the number of labors undertaken by Hercules. 12, Andy. the age of maturity for hold young Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Andy, yeah. we don't have to do that anymore. 12, the number of months it's taken to do Njal saga? <laughs> eh, calm down, buddy. The number of... Did it, it's over. And it didn't take 12 months, by the way. But that's not important. We're done with Njal Saga, remember? We're done? Yeah. We finished in episode 11. 11, the, the master number. The No, shh, shh, shh. It's uh, okay. 11. This is our judgment episode. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just don't know how to start one of these, what did you call it, judgment episodes? <laughs> yes, I can see that. Uh, I know it's been a while, so uh, I'll try to refresh your memory. I can't believe this. Uh, it may not have been a full year of episodes, but I mean, we started planning for Njal last April, John. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think at the time we had hoped to get the whole thing done in uh, eight or nine episodes. Ah, but we were just boys then. We're men now, John. Uh, okay, yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> uh, but I I can't believe that we're here at the end of Njal Saga. The real end. Yeah. As much as I really do want to move on to some new adventures in the Icelandic family sagas, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure working our way through this one. Yeah, it has. So, yeah, I'm ready to move on too, but there's there's so much to love about Njal Saga. Uh, we said back in the very first episode that Njal Saga is often considered one of the great works of Western literature. It's right up there with Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, Virgil's Aeneid, Beowulf, Chaucer, Dante, Cervantes. That's true, and I, I absolutely agree that it belongs in that list, but we should also note that Njal Saga doesn't usually get mentioned in that elite company. It's mostly saga scholars who rank it that high. Yeah, that's right, although that's mostly because the literary critics who make those Western canon lists, they've never really read the sagas. That's, yeah, that's true. That's unfortunate. Uh, it's worth reading, obviously we think so, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's worth reading more than once. Uh, I think I hope our listeners have taken advantage of the passing months we covered Nyal to uh, pick up a copy and read it possibly several times. Yeah. And if you haven't yet, drop what you're doing, order a copy now. Go ahead. We'll wait. No, no, hold on now. Uh, they could easily do that after they finish listening to this episode, couldn't they? Okay. Uh, keep listening then. Yeah. But remember to get your copy of Nyal Saga when you're done. Yeah. Now, John, I don't know if uh, you've thought about this at all, but uh, you and I have talked about this Nyal Saga perhaps more than any other saga we've talked about. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. No, but it's not because we just spent the last 10 months working with it. Uh, we read this together in graduate school. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and we've uh, we've both written conference papers or published on subjects that incorporate stuff from the saga. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we also used this saga as a test case for Saga Thing back when we were developing the podcast format. Oh, Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's it's an obvious choice, right? It has all yeah. the best elements of a saga in one place. Yeah, if it doesn't work for Njal Saga, it's not going to work. Um, right. And, and I, I'm actually thankful for that little initial exercise because uh, I, I still had a lot of my best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticism notes all in the margins of the book waiting <laughs> for me. That's that's very useful. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. Despite all the time we've spent discussing the saga, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Well, that's the mark of a truly great piece of literature, isn't it? Don't worry. I'm confident this won't be the last time we talk about this one. Um, but for now, it's time to put Njal's saga on trial. You sound so enthusiastic. Let's do this. Now, as we usually do, we'll be judging the following categories. Best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, in which we exile one figure from Iceland and the sagas forever, 
Thingman, in which Andy and I will choose one man or woman from the saga cast to join our all-star teams. Yes. And then uh, we offer our final thoughts and final ratings at the end. Yes. And, and to be honest, I kind of want to rush ahead to the final rating sections now. Are you that eager to be done with y'all? No, no, no. I, I'm really looking forward to finding out what you rated this one. Uh, given the amount of attention <laughs> and praise this saga has received over the years, it's an easy candidate for a 10 from both of us. Oh, you really are jumping ahead. We're supposed to save our scores for the end. And don't be so sure I'm going to give it a 10. Well, look, I didn't say I was giving it a 10 either. I only said it's an obvious candidate to earn a 10. Mm -hmm. This is probably the most well-known, widely read, and beloved sagas that we're going to cover. And and you mm -hmm. already gave a 10 to Gizli's saga. Is it possible that you'll score the Great Nyal saga below Gizli? Well, like everyone else, you'll have to wait until the end to find out. Mm. Now, uh, do you want to stand around here shilly-shallying and waxing nostalgic, or do you want to judge this saga? Well, let's start judging. Okay, but one quick word first. That's <laughs> classic John. <laughs> you tease us with a segue, and then you just take a sharp left into a digression. That's right. Build a little narrative tension. Yeah, does it teasing really? Teasing the audience. Well, no. That's not for me to decide, I guess. Uh, I will remind you that Theodore M. Anderson said that when dealing with the sagas... There is no such thing as digression. Does he really? Well, then, uh, we are <laughs> definitely in the right genre. Yep. Uh, Anderson actually talks about this in his uh, book, The Icelandic Family Saga. Is this a digression within that, a digression? It is. <laughs> uh, he argues that no thread in the saga plot is ever superfluous because it either serves to explain the outcome or it derives from the outcome. Interesting. Okay, so uh, what does your brief digression contribute to the outcome of this discussion? Well, it's actually kind of important. I just wanted to let the listeners know that we, before we started recording, we swore on the lives of our children not to do a two-part judgment episode. Uh, yes, uh, that's true. But but I only uh, – I swore on the life of one kid, and I've got three, so there's some wiggle room here. <laughs> I'm sure your wife's going to love hearing you say that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. I, I don't plan to break my oath. I'm an honorable man. Well – I'm a less honorable man. To be honest, I swore on the lives of one of your kids, too. Oh, no. I hope it was uh, the same one. <laughs> so which of the kids did you end up swearing on and making expendable? I I'm not going to tell you, but uh, it's a question they can ponder for the rest of their lives. <laughs> one really of them might do. end up finding out for and sure. I feel sorry for them. I really do. You should. And not because of this. But I was saying... We didn't want this to balloon into a two or three part episode like so many of our summary episodes have done recently. Mm -hmm. Andy, we've done 16 hours, 20 minutes, and 50 seconds on Nyala Saga already. And that's not counting the couple of minutes we spent screwing around just now. Eh, what's a couple more hours? I mean, <laughs> we both love Nyala, but we're both looking forward to getting on to some lesser known sagas for a while. Yes, lesser known and lesser in most facets, probably. Oh, now, now. Each is special in its own way. Uh... Now, in order to achieve this goal, we've uh, tried to be very careful in selecting candidates for each of the categories. There's so much saga to cover, so many brilliant examples of saga bloodshed, stunning turns of phrase, more nicknames than you can count. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. We've also got some great candidates for Outlawry and Thingman in this saga. Right. But like I said, we're going to be good today and limit our choices to only the very best. All of the very best. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. You ready now? I was born ready. All right. No, uh, your birth was actually an aside, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Oh. Let's do it! Best Bloodshed. Well, as you might imagine, we're dealing with an embarrassment of riches here. Yes, it's a lot. Uh, this is one of those sagas where we're going to be leaving aside several Bloodshed candidates that would probably have won in lesser sagas. 
And in the interest of time, we're going to have to keep ourselves down to just a few choices each. And since everyone was kind enough to write and tell us about their preferred moment of gore and mayhem, we've got a list all ready to go with uh, no actual effort on our part. Yes, this is definitely my favorite way to do things. You mean with everyone else doing the actual work? Yes. <laughs> of course, and, uh, and honestly, this list is a good one, so well done, everyone. Yeah, it really is, but it's it's breaking my heart. I mean, some of the ones that are left out would have had a strong chance in a good saga. Which I think I we're going to say a lot in this episode. Right. I mean, we're not even including a berserk being burned to death in a consecrated fire. Or Thongbron the missionary leaping clear of his horse as it falls to its death in a magically created chasm in the earth. Or Scarpathen throwing a broken tooth through a burning farmhouse wall to knock Gunnar Lambeson's eye out. Now, I, I can't believe we're not including the tooth toss in this. I mean, what's wrong with us? <laughs> I'm sorry, there's just no time. Uh-huh, I see what you did there. Yeah, a little callback. <laughs> what about uh, Halbjorn the Strong fatally dunking Solvi into a cauldron of boiling meat <laughs> during the chaotic fight at the Althing? I mean, yeah, how often do we see a man shoved into a cauldron of boiling meat, John? I mean, that would easily win in half the sagas we've covered so far. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. Um, yeah. I think you're more used to sitting at a table with me and seeing a cold and boiling meat shoved into a man. <laughs> <laughs> now, really, the whole fight at the All Thing is amazing, but I feel like I'd be cheating to give the award to that fight. It's it's just too big to count that way. I guess that's fair. So uh, what you're saying is we have to find a specific story of violence, not just a general melee. But boiling meat, John. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, we should probably start with our list of honorable mentions just to get the blood flowing. Get it? Uh, okay. Did you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, I want to give an honorable mention to Thord Friedmanson, who is killed by Sigmund and Skjold of Sweden. Uh, before Thord dies, he shatters both his attacker's spears, then gets his arm chopped off, and and then he starts fighting in earnest. I, well, I mean, he's annoyed by them. <laughs> well, who wouldn't be? He, he does get killed, but <laughs> if you gotta go, you might as well go out like Monty Python's Black Knight. Done in by scratches and flesh wounds. More or less. That's I love that one. Uh, what have you got? Uh, well, I mean, this list isn't going to be complete with at least one without at least one slaughter by Gunnar. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think his brawl with the Scarfsons is probably his most impressive individual feat. Now, uh, remind me who are the Scarfsons? We've met a lot. Oh, of this sons. is uh, Otkel, Skamkel, oh, Holbjorn yes. the White, and their friend Halkel. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so Gunnar is attacked by four men at once. And in that fight, he chops the first man's hand off, lifts the second on his halberd spike, and dashes him headfirst into the ground, kills the third man with his own spear, and then leapt over the fourth man's spear to kill him with a single blow. Okay, uh, see, this is the problem. This is a (laughs) non-candidate? John, this is Gunnar at his best. Several people included that one specifically in their list of candidates for best bloodshed. How can we just give that an honorable mention? Well, it's quantity, not quality, really. I mean, lots of corpses, but uh, if I may quote Rex Factor for a moment, it lacks that certain indefinable something. Hmm, really? I mean, this one features the famous Hlitherendi Slam. <laughs> I forgot about I, the Hlitherendi Slam. <laughs> I think we are setting the bar awfully high here. Oh, oh, I also wanted to acknowledge Amundi the Blind and his miraculous but brief restored vision, which lasts just long enough for him to bury an axe in his father's killer's head. Ah, yes, that one is good. Now, did we ever decide whether Amundi's return to blindness was a punishment from God for misusing the miracle of gaining his vision back? Well, I know I don't buy it. Uh, Aside from everything else, Amundi did say he would kill Luting if only he could see. Mm -hmm. You can't say God wasn't warned. Yeah, I'm not sure that's how miracles work, but (laughs) okay. Now, I've got another honorable mention as well. This one is from our most recent episode, The Death of Brian Baru. 
Oh, yeah, speaking of miracles. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. So uh, Brian's attacked by Broder, and Brian's son Tog leaps to his defense. Uh, but Broder chops off Brian's head and Tog's arm in a single blow. It's a good now, blow. Yeah. The miracle is that when Brian's blood splashes onto the stump of Tog's arm, the wound is instantly sealed up and ceases to bleed. It's impressive, but it's still a shame for Brian. Well, it would have been nice if the blood had healed Brian's wound, but uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> well, we didn't mention it in the episode, but we're told that Brian's head actually did grow back. Why, why didn't we mention that? Uh, it's an impressive miracle, but Brian was still dead. I mean, when I say grown back, I mean that it just reattaches. <laughs> well, he, he has his head back on nice and neat, so that's good. Exactly. Now, we should also mention a few that our listeners recommended that we also won't get to. Uh, okay. I know you were keeping track of social media and email and stuff. Uh, what, what did the people recommend? What did the what did the good horse sense of the masses come up <laughs> with for us? Uh, a lot of people mentioned things that we just covered or will cover, but uh, I think we should mention a few important ones that uh, maybe won't get attention. Uh, Mark Clark wants us to consider Kari's agile and impressive slaying of Sigurd Lambeson and Morth Sigfarsson. Oh, man. Yeah. How, how do we not consider that one? Yeah, I know. Kari, I love all of Kari's fights. He's correct. Uh, Kari jumps up to dodge a spear thrust by Lombi, lands on the spear shaft, then kills Sigurd with the spear in one hand and Morth with the sword in his other hand. Mm, that's right. It's an impressive bit of violent acrobatics, but uh, mm. that's Kari for you. Uh, there's also one worth mentioning here. Uh, Matt Parker reminds us that Starkoth's clumsy ambush on Gunnar, Kolskig, and Hjort resulted in a number of impressive deaths. And oh, yes. I think our uh, bow-wielding listener Patricia would echo that recommendation, since this mm-hmm. is one of Gunnar's more impressive moments with the bow. Fifteen men die in that battle. So I ask you, why isn't that one of our candidates? Uh, well, Matt and Patricia, uh, given that I'm just hearing about your candidacies now, uh, <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the more impressive skirmishes in the saga. Absolutely. Um, I hope that when you hear the candidates we have selected, you'll understand our predicament, that we're going for a certain panache. Uh, <laughs> but uh, those are great candidates. Uh, speaking of which, uh, why don't we get uh, the main candidate started? I'm starting to worry about the fate of our children already. Oh, we should definitely be worried about the fate of the children. <laughs> um, okay. So I think my first true candidate is an impressive one. It it captures the essence of what we're all about here at Saga Thing Judgments Incorporated. Oh, good. We've incorporated now? Well, it only made sense to do it at this point. Sure, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, now, now, we can, now we can support political candidates. That's right. Now, I, I want to nominate Thorhall Asgrimson, one of the three best lawyers in Iceland. Ah, who isn't? <laughs> it's an excellent choice, though. Yeah, you'll remember that he was supposed to lead the case against Flossi and the Burners, but he was crippled by a, a festering boil on his leg and couldn't leave his booth. Yeah, how do you forget a festering boil? <laughs> he relayed messages back and forth with Morth, uh, trying his best to help bring things to a reasonable conclusion. But when everything fell apart, he did what any good lawyer would do. And I'll let the saga tell the story. He sprang out of bed and seized his spear, Scarpathen's gift, with both hands and drove it through his leg. A gush of blood and flow of pus poured like a stream across the floor. Ugh. He then walked out of the booth without a limp and moved so fast that the messenger could not keep up with him. At the fifth court, he came across Grim the Red, Flossie's kinsman, and as soon as they met, Thorhall thrust at him with the spear and pierced his shield and split it in two. And the spear passed through him so that the point came out between the shoulders. Thorhall threw him off the spear, dead. (laughs) He threw him off the spear, dead. Mm -hmm. I love that. Just in case you were wondering. 
Yeah, a spear with the remnants of a pussy boil on it. Ugh. Now, that's a respectable candidate for best bloodshed. Uh, Kate Clark wanted this one to win. Uh, she called it Thor Hall going into Hulk mode. Wait, it, uh, that's absolutely right. But uh, is this the Kate Clark? Yes, the uh, the designer of our Saga Thing logo. Full props to her. The uh, designer of the Lone Medievalist logo, too, as well, by the mm-hmm. way. It's another organization that I'm a part of. I'm glad she listens to the podcast. Yeah, she loves it, actually. Uh, so, uh, enough about Kate. Uh, what's your first candidate? Well, it's hard to top the uh, river of pus, uh, but I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, I'll nominate an episode from about halfway through the saga, The Death of Thrain Sigbison. Oh, yes. We absolutely have to include this <laughs> one. Uh, many of our listeners recommended it. Uh, Chloe Sacker, for example, described it as a bit of violent dentistry, which I quite liked and, <laughs> and used on social media. I like that. Uh, so this is the moment when Scarpathen, Grimm, Helgi, and Kari ambush Thrain Sigbison's band of eight men on a frozen lake. Scarpathen falls behind during the initial rush when he stops to fix his shoelace, but he doesn't want to be left out of the fight. So, and I'll just read this, He ran to the river. Scarpathen took off into the air and leapt across the river from one ice ledge to the other. The ice slab was very smooth, and Scarpathen slid along as fast as a bird in flight. Thrain was about to put on his helmet, but Scarpathen came at him first and hit him on his head and split it down to the jaw, so the molars skittered across the ice. <laughs> This happened so quickly that no one else could land a blow, and Scarpathen skated away at a furious speed. God, it's so good. Yeah. It's stunning. <laughs> uh, and, and let's not forget that Scarpathen later collects those scattered teeth, keeps oh, them in a little baggie, I know, I know. and uses one of them to knock out Gunnar Lambeson's eye at the burning. I, I love the idea that he goes back afterwards to pick those up off the ice one by one. Well, it's... There's it's a- I, there's actually scholarship written about where did those teeth come from? Did he go get them? Did he pick oh, them up I when know. he was sliding by? How did he Make get them? A couple them? of them stuck to his axe. Yeah. Uh, it's either the best or worst penalty in the history of hockey. <laughs> or uh, maybe this is the moment when hockey's invented. It's Scarpathen's Gordy Howe moment. <laughs> it's, it's more of a Terry O'Reilly moment, really. Uh, it's a reference that will only make sense to Bruins fans, by the way. Yeah, old hockey uh, but uh, anyway, this is a uh, pretty iconic stuff from Scarpathen. I mean, it's yeah. almost certainly the single most famous act of violence in the saga if we don't count the burning itself as a single act. Yeah. And everyone there is impressed. Kari calls out, a manly attack that was. <laughs> so uh, what have you got that can top a manly attack? I don't know, man. That's so good. <laughs> uh, like you said, this is an iconic moment of saga violence, uh, the one everyone turns to, but... Uh, why don't I recommend a lesser known but perhaps more spectacular bit of bloodshed from the saga? Okay. Uh, you remember a little pagan hothead named Brother? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I suspect this might be your choice. Uh, how could it not be? Yeah. Well, after killing Brian and disarming young Tag, uh, Brother is surrounded by Brian's men, chief of whom is Brian's brother, Ulf Hrada. He's quickly taken prisoner, led to a tree, and forced to march around in a circle while his intestines unspool along his path until he dies. And the saga tells us that he didn't die until they were all pulled out of him. Yeah, that, that's that's right up there with the Blood Eagle. It is, only I, I think this one's actually plausible. Well, <laughs> I mean, I have no doubt you can kill a guy by yanking his intestines out. I just wonder whether he'd be able to walk around the tree. What was it? Five and a half times we came up with? Yeah, something like that. I can't, I can't remember that. But, uh, uh, that just speaks to the incredible strength of Brother, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, come on, John. How can that disgusting display of violence not win something called best bloodshed? I don't know. These are all fantastic. I kind of feel like we've got enough to think about already, but 
I've got one more for us to consider before we make the call. It's kind of a sentimental favorite. Oh, a sentimental favorite act of violence. <laughs> You're a complex man, John. <laughs> it's my Irish blood, I think. <laughs> my people are from the land of happy wars and sad love songs. <laughs> All right, my laddie. What's your final candidate? <laughs> well, I mean, this Sorry, is a Irish small, it's a small act of violence. On behalf of my people, I forgive you. Uh, <laughs> This is a small one, but it's the final act of violence in the saga. And when I first read Nyal's saga, it really stuck with me as an example of what I can think of as like the absurdist streak in saga writing. Mm. When Kari Solmundersen finds Cole Thorstensen in the Welsh village, he rushes up on him as Cole is counting out some money to a merchant. Yes. He lets the coins fall one by one. Eight. Nine. And Kari chops his head off with a single sword swipe. <laughs> and Cole's head continues counting ten as it flies through the air. You know what? I like it. I like it a lot. This is one that uh, my wife brought up as one of her favorites. Uh, there's there's just a certain charm to that scene, isn't there? I, there is. I, I I don't know if it can compete with the other three, but I love it. Yeah. No, I don't think it can compete, but uh, it is worth mentioning. Um, okay. So just to review, uh, we've got Thorhall kicking off the brawl at the all thing with a bloody leg, a pus-covered spear, and a killing. Love it. Scarpathen going to the penalty box for some serious high-sticking on Thrain Sigvison. Oh, I love it. Uh, Brawlier giving a whole new meaning to relaxing and unwinding after a big battle. Uh, disgusting, but I love it. <laughs> and Call losing his head in a financial transaction. Uh, so what do we think? Look, I think uh, Matt Parker's going to be shaking his head when he finds out that we didn't include the burning of Njal and his family in Best Bloodshed. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. There's only so much bloodshed to go around. <laughs> So uh, what do we want to do here? I mean, all right, I'm that. gonna I'm gonna put my cards on the table. Yeah, I don't see how anything beats Scarpathen skating across a river, shooting through the middle of over a dozen men in mid brawl, yeah. chopping out the lower jaw and head of the chief enemy, skating away and then returning out, circling back afterward <laughs> to collect those teeth off the ice to carry in a bag at his belt for over a decade there's yes. the opportunity sometime later to knock out someone's eye with one of them how right. do you and top that <laughs> i I'll, I'll say this about brother because i think that's the other serious candidate to consider uh brother's got the kind of spectacular disgusting like bloodshedy kind of moment mm -hmm. but in terms of what we're looking for in best bloodshed do you i think you said earlier you got to have a bit of panache yeah and while there's a stylistic kind of poetry to walking around the tree with your guts flying mm -hmm. out of you, man, you can't beat Scarpe than sliding across the ice. <laughs> and and I will say, um, Thorhall cutting the boil out of his leg and then rushing into the all thing to kill Grim the Red, there's a catharsis there yeah. that I don't think any other killing in the saga matches. That you're just you're so frustrated by that point in the saga. That that moment is just, you want to like leap up out of your chair in the middle of reading this book and start cheering. Yeah. But I agree. For panache, for style, you cannot top Scarpathen sailing through the middle of a battle and taking out the leader of the enemy force. Ah, it's brilliant. Brilliant stuff. All right, Scarpathen, I think you knew you were coming up to get this one. <laughs> I can't wait to shake your hand. That's right. Body, Body count. count. All right, John, I think everyone will be happy to know that the body count this time around was uh, pretty straightforward. No real problems. Well, yes, but also potentially suspect. What? Well, because of the length of this saga, we divided up some responsibilities. And uh, 
Somehow the final tally for body count fell to you, our resident numbers guy. <laughs> well, it only made sense, uh, but I, you know, I got to say I did a pretty damn good job, all things considered. So in other words, you've checked your work and you don't think you've made any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I asked so, you a couple, you know, questions about uh-huh. different deaths. I think we got so it all we're, worked uh, out. We're, we're building our confidence on your mathematical dyslexia. And all <laughs> the confidence in the world. Ah, uh, good. Yeah, don't worry about this. I got it. Uh, now, I, I think anyone who's read or listened to Nyal Saga would expect the body count to be quite high. I think it's a reasonable assumption. This is a long and violent saga. It is. But to how high do you think this body count is? I mean, if you had to guess off the top of your head. Well, without counting myself, that'd be hard. I, I know it's well over 100. That's true. That's fair. I'll give you that. Um, now, the problem is that we have a lot of situations in the saga where, where people are killed in large numbers but aren't numbered. That's correct. So we can't count them, and that kind of throws off my ability to calculate. Yes, but you mean over-under? Over-under, yes. Uh, I'll ask you the same thing I asked our listeners. Uh, which saga has a higher body count? Gretter's saga or Njal's saga? And what was Gretter? Like a hundred and... It was a hundred and... 46.5 plus five unnatural beings and four animals, give or take a beast. All right. Well, let's forget about the unnatural beings and beasts. Uh, as um, you always and, do. And uh, let's treat that unborn, I remember that one, as a whole person and round up to 147. That is a fair and moral decision, John. I'm proud of you. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be close, but I would guess that that Clontarf episode with uh, Brothers Men being massacred mm-hmm. is going to put you all over the top. And I'm not counting the animals. <laughs> well, if you were counting animals, incidentally, uh, you'd find that four animals die in Njalsaga, two dogs and two horses. So you could add four to your count. Oh, don't remind me about the poor dogs. Yeah. They're just doing their job. Yeah. Especially poor Sam. Yeah. What about Thungbrun's horse? Swallowed into the earth he was. Yeah, I don't like horses. Oh, okay. uh, but he was, it's true. <laughs> he was. Uh, now, what about the body count? Was that right? Uh, yes, you were. The final count mm. was 221. 221. At, yeah, as you said, it was helped by the Clontarf interlude. Remember, mm. we got 60 men in one chapter from the supernatural events happening to Brothers' fleet of ships. Right. A very round number. 20 men killed each night, yeah. three consecutive nights. Convenient for the body count. Um, mm-hmm. And then 35 that we can count from the Battle of Clontarf itself. So that's 95 bodies from just a few chapters of the saga. That's interesting. Because if we took that away, which we most certainly won't, the body count would actually be much less impressive. It would be. A, hold on here. Uh, if it was 220 minus 95, I, I, yeah, I could do this. But uh, that one <laughs> is tripping me up. 221 minus... Just, just add one to whatever you come up with. <laughs> I, I could do that if my brain worked like that, John. Not everyone is a genius. Uh, the number is 126, Andy. <laughs> 126. Yeah, I know that. Come on, I have that. <laughs> um, and, uh, hey, what'd you get for the body count? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 126 is, in fact, less than the Greta Saga body count. Right. And again, there's a lot of killings in this saga that we can't count because they aren't given a number. Mm-hmm. Uh, but say what you want about how to end a saga properly. Nyal Saga does a nice job of piling up the corpses in an effort to uh, claim that body count title. Yes, and it is our new leader, so that effort paid off. Mm-hmm. All right, so the final count is 221. And four animals. Yes, and four animals. Now, now uh, before we move on to nicknames, we have one more bit of business with the body count. We do? 
Oh, right. Uh, yeah. The What was it? The body count density measurement. Yes, that's a good memory, John. It's the BCDM. Oh, yeah, I think you know we started this last May in the rectal judgment section, but uh, haven't really had a whole lot of opportunities to use it since then. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, a, kind of a bad move on our part to introduce this right before we abandon judgment sections. For yeah, right. Year. So I thought we'd take some time to play <sighs> with it a little bit here. The, the idea is to provide a more accurate sense of a saga's bloodshediness by providing mm-hmm. a, a body count density. Density measurement. Again, thanks to Greg Rice for recommending this crazy concept. I love it. And our methods are simple. Mm-hmm. We use a ratio of deaths to Hrobnikils because we can. Correct. Now, once again, I'll ask you, uh, how bloodshedy do you think Njal Saga was? Uh, it has the highest body count, but will it have the bloodshediness to compete with the bloodiest of sagas? I'm so- I don't know, but I do know you should stop saying bloodshedy. Oh. It, uh, it just sounds wrong. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> So uh, thanks to Peter Larson, I was able to go through and update the body count page on our website and include the BCDM for previous sagas. Um, and I'll tell you uh-huh. that on average, I found this kind of interesting, our sagas typically come in somewhere close to either 12 or 20, plus or minus a few mm. points. I, I don't know how this worked out that you ended up handling all the math stuff for this episode. You, I don't understand it either, but there you go. Now, <laughs> now our lowest BCDM was uh, Bandamana Saga. Well, that's not surprising, but uh, can I just say, Bandamanasaga? Yes, you can. Uh, it had a paltry four deaths, which divided by 1.24 Hoffenkills gives us a BCDM of 3.23. Pathetic. It's sad. It's a decent saga. I do enjoy it, but it's an embarrassing lack of bloodshed. Yeah. So what's the highest BCDM so far? Well, it's the saga of the Greenlanders. Uh, it may not have been our favorite, but uh, when you put oh. the body count up against the length of the saga, you'll find a rather impressive density. Higher than 20? Oh, yeah, much higher. Thanks to uh, someone named Freitas and the rather meticulous count of bodies by the author. Uh, There were 50 deaths in the Greenlander saga. 50. Uh And it was only 0.71 Hrofenkel's long. It's got an unbeatable, and I guarantee unbeatable, BCDM (laughs) of 70.42. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's uh, We'll be hard-pressed to find a saga that can compete with that. Yeah, but uh, back to Njal Saga. Do you think the uh, BCDM will be higher or lower than Gretter's 21.17? I'm actually going to say that it's probably a little bit lower. I think it's going to be close, but lower. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, it turns out with our 221 deaths to the 10.94 profit kills, the BCDM of Nail Saga is 20.20. It is, it's just a little bit lower than Gretir's. Well, there you go. Yes. Uh, see, I know my, uh, I know my body count per page. Yeah, you got it all under control. Uh, well, that was an interesting little digression. I'd, uh, I'd like to say informative, but I can't fathom what anyone would do with that information. Uh, you could impress your friends at parties. Oh, sure. Oh, by the way, George, do you know that despite its rather diminutive size, the saga of the Greenlanders is far and away the most bloody of all the sagas? It's got a BCDM of 70.42, don't you know? My word. Indubitably. <laughs> Let's just move on, shall we? Uh, what, what about those nicknames, John? Nicknames. So this is the category where John goes into a little depth about the bynames and nicknames used in the saga. And I sometimes take a quick nap and record some vaguely <laughs> interested sounding noises later. Oh, look, I can't help it if you don't like this kind of thing as much as I do. Mm-hmm. I can only cast the pearls, Andy. I can't make the swine take notice. 
Go on. I did not know that. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> no, uh, this actually is a great way to think about the sagas, and I know a lot of our listeners love this section. Um, with the length of something like Njal's saga, though, you're, you're bound to have a load of great nicknames to think about. Well, I, you'd have thought that, wouldn't you? And there I are a couple that. that I'm really interested in getting into, but they're mostly a bit controversial. Interesting. Most of the conventional nicknames in this saga are just that, conventional. Mm-hmm. Go on. No, a, a lot. <laughs> what, what you mean there is you, we've got a lot of people called the white, the black, the strong, the tall, that kind of thing. Right, exactly. I mean, even some of the more descriptive ones like Thorstein Broadbelly or Thorstein the Red or Thorstein Hairlip or Thorstein the Fair. They don't offer much beyond the obvious. Yeah. Uh, those are all Thorsteins, by the way. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah. One thing this saga does do is demonstrate how necessary nicknames were <laughs> right? in this culture. Yeah. As a, as a way of carrying a bit of reputation around with you, but also just as a point of differentiation. And isn't that how we end up with Njal Thorgerson being called Beardless? Yes, although not because there are too many Njals running around. I mean, you don't run into a lot of those. Uh, but as a point of differentiation, absolutely. And as long as you brought it up, we might as well cover that first. Uh, the name Njal Skegulaus, uh, Beardless, is controversial, not because of what it describes. I mean, it's pretty obvious that Njal hasn't got a beard. Yeah, he hasn't got a false one that he can wear for special occasions, something yeah, like that? I don't think anyone would be fooled. A little bit uh, of Rogaine on the face? Yeah, no. The name is controversial because it suggests that there's something wrong with Njal's masculine identity. Yeah. He, that he's either effeminate or sexually impotent. Right? Either way, in a culture that prizes heteronormative identity... The accusation is a real threat to Njal, both professionally and as a patriarch. Well, yeah, and, and there's no question that this is an insult. Right, sure. I mean, but as we said in the episode where it first came up, it's part of this systematic insult that threatens Njal's entire family. It's coupled with another nickname, the collective Tothskeglinger, uh, or Dungbeardlings, mm -hmm. used to insult Njal's sons. When Holgerth and her friends develop these names, they level a set of insinuations all at once. Right? Njal isn't a real man. Bergthor must be looking elsewhere for sexual satisfaction, or else is the actual man in the relationship, right? That she's sort of a troll man. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, and their children are either illegitimate or monsters, right, if she's the man, or else smearing feces on their faces as a cosmetic. <laughs> I mean, it's a literal interpretation of a, of a eating grin, you know? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, we've already talked about all this, so I won't dive into it again, but it's a fascinating moment when we see a social debate over whether a nickname is just or not. Yeah, it's one and of it the cool parts of this yeah, saga, it, actually. And it has serious consequences, right? Not just for Njal's reputation. Quite a lot of people die over this nickname. Yeah, it's, it's funny that Hogarth is the one spreading this rumor. I mean, she knows a little something about nicknames and how they can turn on you. Oh, that's true. And 10 points for sticking the landing on that segue. Mm. Had my arms spread, chest out. There you go. Holgerth is usually called Longbroch, uh, long legs or long pants, to make it consistent with how we translated Ragnar's name. Hmm. And everyone agrees that she's physically beautiful. But long legs is actually the second descriptor she's given. In the very first chapter of the saga, her uncle Hrut noticed her Thjofsaugu, her thief's eyes. And that name stuck. Not in the world of the saga, I think, but in the mind of the reader. Yes. So much so that when Holgerth does turn to theft, it comes as no surprise to us. That's right. Yeah. The great cheese wheel caper. That's right. That's a good <laughs> memory you've got there. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> what's a good uh, a good quick cheese pun I could throw in there? 
Uh, cheddar. <laughs> you are the Oscar Wilde of cheeses. Um, <laughs> cheddar. <laughs> Limburger. Mm. Oh my god. <laughs> I enjoy Velveeta. Oh. Uh, but, uh, you know, these are nicknames we've already discussed, and we've already been through all of the cheese puns long, long ago. Right. And the uh, the volume of people named in this story mean that we have lots more nicknames to talk about, John. Let's, uh... Right, okay. Like, like a cheese wheel. Let's roll on down the, the road. Oh, boy. You are... You are reaching. You are, uh... <laughs> uh... All right, let's, uh... Let, let's fondue this. Yeah. Okay, Monterey Jack, let's go. This is a... <laughs> This is a saga where we're only going to scratch the surface quantity-wise. I mean, there are hundreds of named individuals here, and many of them have nicknames. So we'll have to skip over a lot of promising people. Folks like Sorkvir the Old, Bessie the Wise, Brynjolf Brawler, <laughs> Thorhild Poetus, Thorvald the Sickly, Ulf Squinter, Iron Grim, Aestine the Noisy, Gutherin Nightsun, Sigurd Swinehead, Thorarin Ragi's brother, Olvir Childsbearer, and Kettle Smooth Talker. But I, I do want to quickly give a sense of the sheer number of names, though. Andy, can you read from Chapter 25, The Introduction of Valgar the Grey? Okay. Uh, hold on a second. Nice foley work, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it says, uh, Valgard was the son of Jorund Gothi, the son of Hraven the Foolish, Son of Valgard, son of Avar, son of Vaemund the Eloquent, son of Thorolf Pusnose, son of Thron the Old, son of Harald Wartooth, son of Hrerik Ringscatterer. I mean, how, how much further do you want me to go here? Because <laughs> uh, the family also includes Ivar Fithfathmi, uh, Halfdan the Valiant, Ulf Aurgothi, Seymund the Learned. I mean, it just keeps going. Well, I, I think that gets the idea across. There are nicknames everywhere in this saga, and Valgar the Grey really isn't that important of a figure in the story, although his son Morth certainly is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, are you going to explain some of these? Because I have questions about a few of them. Well, I was assuming we couldn't let a name like Thorolf Pusnose get away from us. Ah, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot to say apart from just generally appreciating the name. Uh, yes, I agree. Thorolf's name is Volganef, which seems to mean something like Pimple Nose. Uh, and that might mean an acne problem, but it could also be like a cyst or an abscess or something. Mm. Yeah, no matter what it is, he sounds like a real looker. <laughs> well, it's hard to say. Uh, he's far from the only nose-related nickname in this saga, by the way. There's uh, Kettle Flat Nose, who we've seen before. Eolf the Nose. And we've also got Orm Skogernef, which uh, literally means wood nose. What? But since that word usually is used to describe a jutting out part of a wooded area, a skogar. Uh, it probably means something like Judding Woods, and it might be a place name rather than a reference to a particularly impressive honker. Hmm, okay. But uh, Puss Nose and Wood Nose, what else, what else have you got? Well, actually, hang on a second. You stopped at Hrarek Ringscatterer, who's another one of our candidates. This is another minor figure in the saga, right? He's only mentioned. But he's an important man in the saga world. Hrarek was a king of Denmark. His nickname is figuratively meant to indicate a generous man. Hmm. In other words, a man who throws his gold around to his friends. Exactly. Good. I could do with a gold-throwing friend myself, Andy. Just uh, just put it out there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, somewhere I left my gold rings in my other pants, and I would yeah, sure now if did. I could. But sure, you did. There's also a less flattering explanation for this nickname, by the way. Uh, Saxo Grammaticus says that Hrarek got the name when he tried to throw half a dozen linked arm rings from his ship to another one and misjudged the distance. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, they sink to the bottom, lost forever. That is so good. I mean, the fact that, I mean, again, people, I've said this before, but the work that John puts into this nickname section, impressive. Uh, well, thank you very much. But you ain't seen nothing yet. There's another thing. According to Saxo Grammaticus, Hrarek was the grandfather of Amleth, or Hamlet, of Denmark, which means that Volgard is descended from one of Hamlet's first cousins. Hamlet? That name sounds so familiar. <laughs> Doesn't it, though? <clears throat> Wait a minute. So you're you're telling me that Morth Valgerson is a distant cousin of Hamlet the Dane? The very same. The and it Hamlet? gets weird. Yes, it gets weirder. Oh my god. The Hersunarga Bugthist, uh, the story of how Norway was settled, says that Hrarek had a second son named Ronver, whose son was Sigurth Ring. Sigurth Ring. Yes. Father of Ragnar Lothbrook. Is that uh-huh. who you're talking about? Yes. <laughs> so, okay, if we piece together these different sources, then we're left with Ragnar Lothbrok, Morth Valgerson, and Hamlet all being in the same family? Uh, yeah. Genealogies oh, are cool. Wow. <laughs> and we might be able to back this up with another nickname from the list you read. And which one is this? I'm starting to feel like that wasn't a random selection of passages. It might not have been. I might have been <laughs> setting you up slightly. Uh, Ivar Vithavmi, uh, the Wide Ranger or the Wide Fathomer. This one isn't so interesting for the name, which is just a reference to how much land Ivar is supposed to have conquered. He's a king of Sweden and parts of England, among other places. Uh, now, the association of land control with physical activity, in this case, Ivar's far-reaching travel is fairly common. Uh, around the same time that Ivar is active, Theodore of Tarsus declares that English bishops can only oversee land they can ride across in a day. But in this case, I wanted to bring Ivar up because Wide Ranger is a fairly cool name. And also because his association with controlling a large amount of land in Sweden and England through his own energies evokes hmm. something interesting. England. At least one scholar, Kirsten Muller, has argued that Ivar Wideranger is actually another Ivar, who uh-huh. we've seen defeating Swedish kings and yes. claiming large chunks of land in England through an oxhide trick. Yeah, <laughs> I think I know exactly who you're talking about. But come on, Ivar Vithvavmi is Ivar the Boneless under another name. I thought you'd like that. Oh, I uh, like that a lot. Now, most people don't seem convinced by Muller's argument, but yeah. I like it as a reminder that nicknames weren't necessarily universal. A person might be known by more than one. Mm-hmm. And it does line up with Moore's connection to Ragnar. And Hamlet... I mean, this is unbelievable, John. Now, I, I don't think you're going to be able to top that, but what, what else have you gotten? Well, I mean, at some point we have to get into some more straightforward nicknames here. Uh, we've got Onund Boxback or Toskubox. Yeah. Um, now, this gets mistranslated as Tuskback occasionally. Uh, there's an example of the word Tosca being misspelt in the Eddas, and it sometimes crops up, even though the dictionaries always note the mistake. The The name is literally something like purse back or bag back which could mean a number of things a peddler's pack uh, but also a misshapen back that looked like a bag being carried 
Now, the other thing that we can't forget is that these nicknames sometimes refer to an event rather than to a permanent characteristic. Okay. Like Thorgir Bottleback in Greta's Saga. Yes, yes. Right, who I got his him. name when he was saved from an incompetent assassin's axe because of a wine sack on his back. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we don't have enough to go on here to make a decision, but I do like the name. Yeah, me too. And then there's uh, Ulf the Unwashed, or Ulfvagen. Yes, we did get some questions about this one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, unwashed is the literal translation. Uh, although, I think something like unclean is more what's meant. Mm, so he's um, like pig pen running around. I, well, kind of. Uh, I think it might be more figurative. It's worth remembering that Ulf is introduced as the chief of the quote unquote friends of the Norwegian court. Mm. The friends were a kind of secret police force that spied internally on Harold Greycloak's enemies. So the stink attached to Ulf might be literal. But it might also be figurative. He's a stinking spy. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, remember that Ulf made a snide comment about Hrut's secret relationship with Queen Gunhild. Uh, he was a good spy, I guess. I guess he knew. Well, but an indiscreet one, <laughs> which is probably why he had to die. He stinks at it, you might say. That's right. Oh, there, yeah. you, there you go. Uh, now, next we have Ogmund Floki, whose nickname okay. is actually also known as a given name in Iceland and Norway. Now, like uh, Hrofenfloki, one of right. the first Norwegians in Iceland, uh, or the shipbuilder from uh, Vikings, for that matter. Right. Now, we saw something similar with the name Snorri, right, which originally meant troublesome, and eventually turned into a given name. Okay. And there's an argument that the name Grimm started the same way. Um, the name Floki means either outspoken or hair-tuft. How convenient for the casting of Vikings. Isn't it, though? Yeah. Uh, I don't know which to apply here, but yeah, I like the idea that both might be a play in that character. Yeah. Um, I also like the idea of both working in the, that a loud mouth of the big pompadour called Floki <laughs> would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, then there's a uh, Bork Blacktooth Beard. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, we got some questions about that one. Oh, yeah. Daniel Besor in particular uh, asked Excellent. Bork Blacktooth Beard. She wants to know well, what that's all about. Well, Danielle, uh, the name is Blatanoskegs, uh, and it's a great name, but it's, uh, it's clearly overkill. Uh, first of all, we have to remember that the element blauer can mean black or blue or just dark. Right? So this name might be a reference to the famous Harold Bluetooth, or at least be using a similar logic to that name. Hmm. Uh, Paul Peterson suggests that the beard in this case is actually adjectival, but the meaning is still something like dark tooth bearded. Uh, I'm going to suggest that the bearded part really is overkill, that the name is meant to emphasize the Bluetooth or Blacktooth meaning, with beard as either a supplemental descriptor or as a reference to something odd about Bork's mouth and lower face. <laughs> um, his Maybe his dark teeth and his beard being indistinguishable from one another? Uh, that I would accept that. The rest of it was kind of nonsense. Which is kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, get a toothbrush, Bork. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, now, our next candidate is a twofer, uh, Uni Gardeson and Joran Oswald's daughter. Oswald. Both of, both of whom, yes. Uh, she's the daughter of uh, Oswald the Saint. Oh, uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them are nicknamed the Unborn. Uh, literally, this is Oborna, Unborn. Uh, this is a nickname that crops up occasionally, although I'm not sure there are other sagas with multiple examples in the same saga. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, it has a couple of potential meanings. Uh, it can be read as meaning illegitimate, as in an unofficial birth, but also as cesarean, meaning not born in the usual way. Ah. Uh, so both readings are possible, and in fact, it could have been used in both contexts. Um, 
The Caesarian idea, by the way, also aligns with other medieval thinking about Caesarian birth as a kind of alternative experience. Yeah, I kind of like that one. Yeah, actually. you know, in, in, in the legend of St. Margaret, uh, Margaret's escape from a dragon's stomach by bursting through its side is a, actually part of the logic of her status as a patron of difficult childbirth. Those wacky Catholics. I know, right? And there are a number of images of Christ in the Middle Ages as a Caesarian birth, uh, which probably stems from a desire to have Mary remain physically virginal even as a mother. Hmm. So, yeah, unborn is a concept that meant a great deal in the Middle Ages. There you go, Saga Thing listeners. I mean, you can't beat that. There you go. Now, we've also got Thorgir Skorogir, the nephew of Njal who joins Kari in the early stages of his epic revenge and inherits the axe battle hag after the death of Skarpaven. Skorogir is one of those enigmatic nicknames that they're not hard to translate, they're just tricky to make sense of, which is why it ends up being untranslated most of the time. Uh, in this case, Skorogir means something like rock cleft spear, which probably indicates something like crag spear or cliff edge. It's pretty enigmatic, though, and most translators just leave it untranslated, which is why we've been calling him Skorogir. But I like Cragspear. I'm going to go with that from now on. I'm going to pass and call him Thorgir Skorogir. <laughs> you do if you want. Uh, now, uh, finally, we have Morth Gigya, the uh, famous lawyer and maternal grandfather of Morth Valgardson. The name Gugya means fiddle or fiddler, and it is actually a reference to the musical instrument, oddly enough. According to Cleesby and Vicvison, Fiddles were known and associated with the calling of a dance, even in early Iceland, and Morth's nickname is a compliment to his loud, clear, and compelling voice when arguing legal cases. I was actually really happy to learn this one. I've always wondered about that name, and this is the first time I actually sort of was compelled to look it up. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, and this this isn't a nickname, but I like it a lot. Uh, when Gunnar Hamundersen is traveling in disguise at one point early in the saga, Njal suggests that he use the name... Peddler Heathen the Mighty. Two nicknames. It it serves absolutely no purpose, and it never gets explained. I kind of like the idea that Njal is just goofing on his friend by making him call himself that for a few days. <laughs> well, he's a peddler. He's going around selling junk, basically, right? Uh, so the, those are our options, Andy. Uh, what do you think? <sighs> Man. Um, you know, I often find myself at the end of the uh, nicknames lecture trying to remember... <laughs> Trying to remember anything I've said, yes. No, no, I remember. I, I mean, I remember things. Um, uh, what about Ragnar Lothbrok? Can we? <laughs> okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, you know what? I, I mean, I have a couple candidates that I'm interested in, but there's this one that's really caught my attention. Uh, I had a chat with him in the back room here. His name is Kettle Smooth Talker, and he's really convinced me that there's a there's oh, a good case now. for. <laughs> we didn't even cover that one. <laughs> but he's he's so suave. Right. He got you alone and started working his magic. He did. He really did. Now, uh, uh, now okay. I will say I'm gonna I'm gonna uh push forward the idea what? of What about the... me? Oh I'm sorry, you go ahead then. <laughs> I, I really like uh Thorolf Pusnose and I, I'm quite <laughs> I'm also quite partial to uh Ulf the Unwashed, so I guess you, you can kind of see a thematic uh thing here. I, um are you, are you, wait, here's my question. Are you rejecting or forgetting dung beardlings? Oh, dung beardlings is good. That is really, I mean, that's kind of central to the saga. And I, also I would think very... that the combination insult of beardless and the dung beardlings, which yeah. by the way also sounds like one of the worst cover bands of all time. <laughs> uh, like possibly a, a ZZ Top cover band that 
only does their less popular music. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like the the uh, the band Kari and the Dung Beardlings because you know. <laughs> uh, you know what? I I like Puss Nose and Unwashed a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, I think you're right. Dung Beardlings. Dung Beardlings. I I don't see how you beat it. No. Or kiss it. Notable witticisms. John, this category is even more difficult than Best Bloodshed. I mean, I can't think, think? of a saga with more brilliant one-liners and amazing wit than you saga. Okay. It's going to be impossible to do this justice, even if there's likely one clear winner. Well, I mean, yeah, but we'll do as we've done for the past ten months, Andy. <laughs> no, that's put it that way. Uh, you know, I know we discussed a few of our main candidates for notable witticism while planning, but I want to take a moment to recognize a few of the candidates that, that we won't get to cover. Okay, so we're doing the same thing we did for Best Bloodshed then. So in recognizing them, we're kind of covering them. Yes, but quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for for example, we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't consider Morth, uh, not Morth Volgerson, but uh-huh. uh, Morth Gigia, Morth Fiddle, that we, we now know, uh-huh. uh, from the beginning of the saga, sitting down with his daughter Un to discuss her marital troubles with Hrut. Now, our listeners may remember that Hrut was cursed by Gunhild, the mother of King Harald Greycloak in Norway. That's right. Uh, what was the curse again, John? That he wouldn't be able to enjoy his wife. And it uh, turns out that his his necessary parts for enjoying a wife would swell up beyond reason whenever he tried. <laughs> but who could forget that? Well, not me, but, uh, I, you know, I think about that every day. Um, so it, <laughs> it kind of helps me get through <laughs> oh, dear God. each 24 hours. Yeah, so, uh, I use baseball scores and, uh, <laughs> you know. Potato, potato. Uh, so Morth sits down with Un like any good father would, hoping to uh, resolve the problem in any way he can. Yeah, only he doesn't know what the problem is. Right. And and he leans over, puts his hand on her shoulder, looks tenderly in her eye with all the love a father can, and he says, Now, tell me everything that's going on between you and Hrut, however big it may seem in your eyes. <laughs> oh, God. It's really one of my favorite lines in the whole song. Oh, that's terrible. I almost want that one to win. Uh, the problem is it isn't really a witticism at all, since only the reader actually knows the full implication of that statement. Well, I, I mean, I think Un's well aware of the size of the problem. Ah, I get that. Uh, wink, uh, wink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like you said, we aren't really going to consider that one. Uh, I don't know it's why just a we fun aren't. moment, and of course you had to include it because we both love it. Yeah, surprisingly, the candidates you and I ended up choosing for serious consideration are all the same as the ones our listeners chose. Almost like we let them do the work again. <laughs> and if we uh, we go by the numbers, there is a clear winner. Well, this isn't really a democracy, so uh, we're not going by the numbers. Yeah, much like America. But, you know, thanks for the help, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got some good ones for notable witticism, but uh, why don't you go first, Andy? Well, if you insist, my first one is a simple but classic one. It's a verse from the conversion episode. Of course it is. I am glad you're, con- you're including this one, though. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we, I mean, we have to throw in some witty poems now and mm-hmm. then. Uh, this one's from Hjalti Skegison, who, who composes an offensive verse against the gods after converting to Christianity. He says, In barking at the gods I'm rich, Freya strikes me as a bitch. Mm. One or the other must be. Odin's a dog, or else she. Now, 
as an insult, that gets top marks. Oh, yeah. But what really puts us over the top is that he does this at the middle of a thing. Right. In Surrounded by angry pagans. Yes. He stands on a stump and declaims this verse. It's yeah. amazing that he walks away alive. And very clever. It's certainly one of the more offensive things said in the sagas. I mean, at least if you're a pagan. Oh, well, if you want offensive, I've got a great one. Do you now? Oh, I do. But uh, I'm not going to go to the most offensive one just yet. Oh, so just start with just mildly offensive. Well, you sort of medium offensive. You know, <laughs> okay. The the jalapeno to my ghost pepper that's coming later. Uh, <laughs> okay. My my first candidate comes relatively early in the saga, and this is Holgerth's calculated insults against Njal and his family. Nice. We just talked about these in nicknames, so I can cover this very quickly. Uh, these are nasty, but they're effective bits of wit. Holgerth begins by telling her friends, who are talking admiringly of Njal's intelligence, that Njal's wisdom seems uneven to her. After all, she says, he hasn't carted dung to his beard so that he'd be like other men. <laughs> it, it's a vicious line, and it manages to include several insults at once. And I and I really wish that uh, we had some of the poems that she asks to be composed about it. Right? Yeah. No, I think it's. I actually think it's a really nice uh, technique by the author there that he makes these verses so offensive that we are even forbidden from seeing them. Right. Yeah. Right? Well, we've that seen Gunnar, that before. Gunnar, Gunnar sort of pushes them away and says nobody is to repeat them. And so yeah. we are never actually privy to them. Yeah. Was it uh, Which of the, course, the saga of Bjorn, the Heaterdal champion, where we, we had poems that were so offensive they couldn't be repeated right, and right. included in the text? Which is which is a great sort of literary technique because, you know, obviously anything we come up with in our head is going to be worse than anything that the uh, poet could actually have created. Yeah. Right? That we're imagining the worst possible thing. Yeah. Now – Holgerth doesn't leave it there. She compounds that insult by saying, let's call him Old Beardless, and we'll call his son Dung Beardlings. And she gets her, her cousin to make up this poem that we're talking about. And this, the Dung Beardlings puts it over the top for me. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, I, at my, now, my next one, uh, if I can, is it my turn now? Yeah. All right, then. Uh, yeah, my next one is uh, kind of grim, but I think witty. And, and several people asked us to include it. So uh, this one comes at the conclusion of Gunnar's final battle. Gunnar has been besieged in his own home, betrayed mm-hmm. by his wife Holgerth, and eventually killed by his attackers. And then Gizer the White, who led the attack, has the nerve to approach Gunnar's mother, Ronveig, and after the fight, and ask for land to bury the two men that Gunnar killed in the fight. She responds, Gladly for these two, but even more gladly if it were for all of you. <laughs> yeah. we've done a we've done a few lines like this in the past where a mother is confronted by her son's killers and comes up with a great line and this one's right up there yeah it is all right moving forward uh what, what's your next one uh my second candidate is from the assault on gunnar's farmhouse uh-huh. so the same the beginning part of the same scene when the attackers arrive the house is dark and silent and they aren't sure whether anyone's inside uh-huh. so they send thorgrim the norwegian to investigate but <laughs> a Norwegian Thorgrim, Thorgrim is the Norwegianist Norwegian ever to grace a saga. And he's worn an actual red shirt to a secret attack. It's brilliant. Gunnar's halberd darts through a window because he sees the red shirt, obviously. And he catches Thorgrim right through the guts. But Thorgrim manages to stagger back down the path to his co-conspirators. And Gizzard the White asked him, Well, is Gunnar at home? And Thorgrim answered, Find that out yourself, but I've found out one thing. 
his halberds at home. And he drops dead on the spot. It's a classic moment. It is one of the best in the saga. It, uh-huh. I mean, that one, John, was actually the top vote getter, uh, by the way. Of course it was. Almost everyone who wrote in mentioned that particular line as the strongest candidate for notable witticism. Well, we'll see. I'm still holding on to one that might beat it. Uh, what about this one? You remember our old friend Hrap? This is the killer Hrap, the guy who stole a trip to Norway, finagled some shelter from a generous host, then seduced his daughter, killed his best man and his son, and then set the king against Kari, Grimm, and Helgi Nelson? Uh, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, him. <laughs> he He's full of great lines there, I mean, through the whole thing. I love this. I mean, he's evil and bad, but I, I just kind of liked him. But uh, uh, my favorite line was after he was caught fooling around with Guthbrand's daughter by Osvard, one of Guthbrand's stewards. Mm. Uh, Hrop leaps up from atop his recently impregnated lady, oh, grabs dear. his axe, and plunges it into Osvard's back, severing the spine. And when he later walks into Guthbrand's hall carrying the axe, he's asked, Why is your axe bloody? And Hrop responds with all the dry wit in the sagas. I've been taking care of Osvard's backache. See, that is brilliant. It's great. I mean, I, I ask you, John, why couldn't that line be in another saga? Because it deserves to win something. Come on. <laughs> no, it does deserve to win something. By the way, I would love to, I'm sure William Ian Miller knows this, but how many times is the line, why is your axe bloody said in this saga? Oh, I know. Uh, I know Holgerth says it. Yes, uh, she does. At, at least once. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's really it's, two or three times. But that's still an impressive, like, sort of recurring theme that we didn't touch on during the actual this, this no. saga. Uh, now, um, we haven't even touched on Scarpathen yet. When we started compiling this, we quickly realized that we had a problem with witticisms in this saga. Yeah, uh, like we said before, there are a ton of them. Yeah, you know, I know, but I'm talking about the other thing. Oh, Scarpathen, you mean? Yes. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the problem is that half of what Scarpathen says is wry, witty, sarcastic, or nasty. I mean, he is a walking, uh, notable witticism epigram maker. <laughs> That's right. And the problem is we could either make this in all Scarpathen category, which didn't seem fair to everybody else, or we could choose one great line from Scarpathen, which didn't seem fair to him. So we came up with a different solution. We did. I mean, yeah, sure, we did. We did. We did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> I knew uh, that. So, welcome to the Scarpathen lightning round. <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, I, I remember this. Okay, so uh, we still have to keep this to a manageable number because this could really get out of hand. Uh, I'm going to keep it to five. Five yeah, criticisms? Yeah, I, I counted. I don't think so. I mean, six or seven maybe around there. Well, let's just get started and see what happens. Okay. Do you want to go first? Age before beauty, John. Ah. Well, I mean, that seems like I'd be going twice, but okay. No, I don't think so. Let's, let's see. Um, so there's Scarpathen's comment when word comes that a second servant of Njal's household has been killed by Holgerth's agents. Holgerth doesn't let our servants die of old age. <laughs> and then there's his surprise attack on Chorvi of Oldi uh, when he jumps out and says, You don't need to look any further. It's just what you think. And then he kills Chorvi with a single blow. Which means I guess we'll never know what it was that Torvi was thinking. I think he thinks he's under attack. Well, my next one is from the showdown between Thrain's entourage and the Njalsons at Holgerth's cottage. When Scarpathen and his brothers and Kari arrive, Thrain's men spread out and face them from the porch, but they break protocol by not speaking a greeting to the visitors. 
and after a moment of pointed silence, Scarpathan cheerfully shouts out, Well, welcome to all of us! (laughs) (laughs) I love this guy. He's so funny. And I like that you chose that one because my next one is Scarpathan's very next line. Oh? Uh, Yeah, when uh, when Hoggard responds by saying, No one here would say that you are welcome. Then Scarpathan goes from sarcastic to brutal in a heartbeat. Your words don't count for you're either a cast-off hag or a whore. Oh, see, that's not nice. No, it's not but nice. Shame it's on you. also the kind of thing that Hallgirth does to others all the time, so yeah. it's hard to feel too bad for. Now, I've got one from the burning. As the men outside set fires against the wall of the farm, Scarpathan leans out to yell, Building a fire, boys! Are you planning on cooking something? <laughs> I just like the tone of that. He's not about to admit to any concern, even when he's the thing they're planning on cooking. Oh, absolutely. He's always so playful. Uh, but, you know, and, and also, Scarpathan's comment after his brother Helgi's death, when Njal and Bergthor decide to lay down and wait to die, one of the most depressing, sad moments in the saga. Mm. Scarpathan's busy defending the doors, but he, he spares a moment to say, Our father's gone to bed early, which is to be expected. He's an old man, after all. <laughs> that is a nice one. Oh. Um, I think this last one is the topper. The uh, the Thorkel bully comment, I'm assuming. Of course. Yes. Now, when Scarpathan realizes that Thorkel isn't going to be in any use as an ally in the lawsuit over Hoskel Thrainson's death, he decides to have some fun with him. When Thorkel asks who the wicked and luckless fellow in the group is, Scarpathan says, My name is Scarpathan, and there's no need for you to pick out insulting words for me. It's never happened that I threatened my own father or fought him as you've done with yours. Also, and I love the way this escalates, also, you haven't come to the all thing often or taken part in lawsuits, and you're probably handier at dairy work amidst your little household at Oxara. You really ought to pick from between your teeth the pieces of the mare's arse you ate before riding to the all thing. Your shepherd watched you and was shocked that you'd do such a filthy thing. (laughs) It's funny every single time I hear it. And it's only made better by the fact that Scarpathan then threatens to kill Thorkel on the spot if he doesn't sit down and shut up. I mean, as the narrator says, such a thing never happened to Thorkel before or after. <laughs> and we have to remember, that actually does earn them the support of Goodman the Powerful. Yes. Because Goodman's been having trouble with Thorkel and loves hearing this story. Oh, it's such a good line. It's so detailed. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be true, right? Uh, now, uh, there is one more candidate that hasn't been mentioned. There is? Yeah, it comes from one of our listeners. Uh, Daniel Basor wants us to consider John from episode one of Njal's Saga, where we are talking about the Hrofenkel measurements. John who? And you, John me? Yeah, you. Okay. Uh, and, and, and you said... This is an orthodox, be, but... All right. <laughs> you said, uh, be careful when measuring in Grettirs. They shrink when it's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, if you remember it's, it's, that, it's probably uh, it's probably not not the done thing for me to laugh at my own line. But it was so long ago that I don't remember saying it. It's practically not even you at this point. <laughs> it's a his, the historical John. That's right. Uh, I, I do think that one is very very clever. But uh, uh, again, as you said, it's uh, it's not canon. So right, right. Um, I I think we've got two choices to make mm-hmm. here, John, and it's going to be very difficult because. Hall, the, the Halberd line is the classic line yes. of this saga. It is yes. the the one, like the sliding, Scarpathan sliding across the ice, is the one everyone remembers. Right. On now, the other I think, hand. I think I mentioned in the episode that I actually have a t-shirt of that scene 
Do you uh, really? Yes. In Icelandic of, uh, of Thorgrim reporting back to his friends before falling down dead. Yes. Like I said, classic. Yep. T-shirt worthy. That's now, right. on the other hand, we have Scarpathen. We um, have all of Scarpathen. I mean, you could just go with the mayor's ass. I don't think that would fit on a t-shirt very well, <clears throat> but uh, it's quite <laughs> I don't know. I've never gotten a mayor to back up when I was wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I, I want to propose this. Could we consider, like, all of Scarpathen's lines? like a Almost like a <laughs> lifetime achievement award for Scarpathen's brilliance. Now, is that in addition to... Are we giving him best witticism or are we giving best witticism to the Halberd line and then giving Scarpathen a separate Lifetime Achievement Award? Oh, man, I think – in my opinion, as much as I love the Halberd line, I think Scarpathen deserves not only notable witticism for the mayor's ass but also a Lifetime Achievement Award for being the cleverest of all saga characters. I think when you look at him across the saga, I mean the, the Halberd line is a great line. Um, but – when you look at the entire saga as a whole, Scarpathen is this sort of this stream of gold running through this saga. Yeah, you'll like, you'll actually laugh out loud. Yes. LOL, as they say, or yes. lol, and, uh, when you read Scarpathen's lines. And every other thing he says is brilliant. I mean, it's yeah. just it's so much fun reading Scarpathen. Uh, I'm 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 willing to do that. Let's uh, let's do it. All right. Not only do you get notable witticism, Scarpathen, uh, but you get a Lifetime Achievement Award. So uh, come up and shake our hands again. We love this guy. <laughs> Outlawry. All right. So it's outlaw time. We have to choose a person or persons from this saga and decide what their crimes have been and outlaw them from Iceland forever. And I have been looking forward to this <laughs> for quite a long time. There are some pretty nefarious characters in the saga. Yeah, although, for the length of the saga, not as many as I would have imagined. Yeah, you know? I suppose. And I also want to add that we have seen in other sagas more, like, purely evil, mm-hmm. villainous characters than we do in this saga. There's always well, a way to kind of... genius of the saga writer. Everybody, everybody's yeah. mixed, right? Nobody's all evil or all good. Except maybe for uh, Hoskell Thrainson. <laughs> now, I, I've got about... Um, I've got four... Maybe five candidates. Oh, good God. Um, I'll, I'll toss one out and, and we'll throw them away real quick. Theostoff, for example. Oh, right, right. He goes around killing, you know, Holgarth's yep. husbands. Um, but I'm not really going to blame him for all that. I mean, you know after I mean? all, he's a Briti and he can't help himself. That's right. Uh, what about Hrop? We mentioned Hrop before. Well, no, Killer Hrop is a serious candidate, I think. But uh, I know you outlined his uh, his crimes. Right? And they before. are significant. Yeah, he right. kills someone in Iceland, uh, and that, which is why he's running off to Norway. But I think he ultimately has the same problem as Theostolf, right? He's a villain for a small sort of episode or two of the saga. He doesn't really, he doesn't really impact True. the narrative in the same way that, that uh, some of our major candidates might. That's true. And uh, most of his crimes, at least for as far as the saga is concerned, are committed in oh, Norway, not in yeah. Iceland, which, you know, in the past we've not uh, exactly considered right. those. So, Hrop is yep. free to go. Enjoy that. Um, I have another candidate that I – I mean, I know we're heading towards two uh, major ones, uh, but I just want to throw this that, huh? third one out there. Uh, what about Gunnar Flytherin? Well, what about- I mean, there are some significant issues there. Right? I mean, not least of which is that – Gunnar is outlawed and refuses to leave Iceland. I mean, and he frequently goes against the uh, decisions of the court, right. throwing That's his right. weight around. Uh, and ultimately, um, 
you know, he kills twice in the same family, which he was not only which is not yes. only a violation of a settlement that he made, but is also a uh, a violation of a prophecy that was made against him. Uh, exactly. And it, where did your brains go? I should I should outlaw you well, just not just for not listening but to ultimately, y'all. Ultimately, he can't leave Iceland because he finds it too beautiful. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great that's excuse. Lovely. I mean, in the past, we've yes, we've used a person's desire to um, operate outside the law as a reason to outlaw them, which is fair enough given the definition of outlaw. But <laughs> uh, in this case, I think. Gunnar at least has our sympathies, if not legal cover for everything he does. Oh, I think so. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's worth mentioning him as mm-hmm. a candidate, but uh, we're not seriously going to outlaw. No, 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 I don't think we ever forgive ourselves. And I don't. I don't want to think about what Ronvig would do to us. So, uh, you know, I just threw out three right. candidates. Why don't you get one? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's got to be Morth Valgertsen. I mean, if I if I may just break out the big guns right away. Um, I could just start listing his actual crimes. I mean, he, he tries to burn Gunnar's farmhouse down with Gunnar's wife and mother inside. He yes. manipulates the Njalsons and Kari against Hoskold Thrainson and then takes part in the murder himself. He deliberately mm-hmm. gets one of his own allies, Thorger Otkelson. He gets him killed to turn a prophecy against Gunnar. He knowingly begins a lawsuit against the Nialsons under false pretenses, knowing it will sabotage any attempt to, at a legitimate settlement. Those are all actual crimes, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. But he's also, <laughs> and I think this is important, he's also a horrible little sneak who betrays oh, he all of his friends, plays all of his enemies against one another, directly or indirectly. He gets dozens of people killed, and he may even intentionally ruin the lawsuit against the burners causing the entire all thing to erupt in a ca- I'm, I'm just saying but the chaos of the all thing is at least partly his doing whether through his incompetence as a lawyer or through his deliberate machinations he's at least partially responsible and unlike anyone else in this saga except maybe for one person who I suspect you're going to name next he was born for evil born for evil remember we talked about this yes he is basically the nemesis created by Gunnar and Njal. Yeah. And his entire life is dedicated to destroying them. Mm-hmm. I get that someone like, say, Hallgirth, just to name a random person, does some pretty awful things. But at least she has a reason to exist that amounts to more than ruin the lives of the guys who helped my mom get her dowry back. Which pretty much describes <laughs> Morth's motivations for the saga. Morth's got to go. You know... On the one hand, I'm with you there. Because Morth, especially early on in the saga, is exceedingly mm-hmm. evil. He is... We've outlawed guys exactly like yes, him in have. the past. Without hesitation. We and were eager will to will again so. in about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't know. Because one of the things that this saga author does so well is to create a character who has complex mm-hmm. motivations. And... and I think Morth emerges as the saga progresses as another one of those complex characters who's trying to assert himself in a world that is constantly thwarting him and his family. Because he's awful. Um, there are some people who should be thwarted. I give you that he's he's terrible, but I also understand where he's coming from. <laughs> he's just a little guy trying to make his way in this crazy world. <laughs> 
Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve mm-hmm. outlawry for his behaviors, but he's also a character who works initially against the Nyalsons, but then why with them. And he, he defends the family you, uh, and defends them reasonably well. share with us who you think should go instead of Morth? So I think we all know well, who that's going to be. I think if you're really looking at the saga and looking for, like, a clear villain, and you're looking for someone who started everything, you've got to look no further than, than Holgerth Longlegs. Hmm. Okay. Think about all of the men that die because of her petty, petty kind of squabbling. Her, petty? Her terrible. In act. fairness. She's petty. I understand what you're talking about, but... I'm talking about the Bergthora right. uh, feud. Let's be very right there clear where... about which one you're talking about. Her revenges yeah. against her husbands are at least potentially justifiable based on their actions toward her first. But her actions against I don't know, in Icelandic legal culture, no, if you get slapped, that you're allowed not legal to culture. I'm kill talking about someone. A moral and ethical stance within the saga that she's not presented as doing villainous things to her husbands, except maybe Gunnar. Uh, but I see what you mean. the The Bergthora story, yes. Yeah. I mean, that is what, in, if you look at it, you know, from, from beginning to end, if you trace, and this is one of the things that's very cool about the Neal yeah. Saga author, is he's able to take minor events and then follow the ripples that result from those minor things. Mm-hmm. So like a little pebble falling in a pond, we follow those ripples out, out, out. And and next thing you know, we've got Gunnar dead. We've got uh, Njal mm-hmm. and his family being burned. I think all those things are interconnected in some very sophisticated ways. It begins with Holgers. And yet, Morv is the one standing outside Gunnar's house begging for a match so he can set the place alight. <laughs> but I think the distinction here is that he doesn't do well, that. Only because he's stopped by Gizur. That's fair. That is fair. I, You know... I, I can't help but read the saga and hate Holgerth. Mm-hmm. And when when we're first introduced to her, I, I like her mm-hmm. quite a bit. She's sassy and she's uh, independent and she's got some admirable qualities. But as we go further and further, those thieves' eyes really emerge. <laughs> and she's a corrupt character mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And I think she accomplishes, and this is the thing that, that I, makes me want to outlaw her more, she accomplishes more than Morth does. Morth is, as you say, a kind of – he's not bumbling, but he doesn't really get – all that he wants accomplished. What he wants he is the destruction of Gunnar, Njal, and Njal's family. And by the end of the saga, he's achieved the destruction of Gunnar, Njal, and Njal's family. That's at least... Yeah, but none of that's one possible has to acknowledge the goading of Holgerth. Everything he wanted has happened. Now, whether or not we can say that he takes credit for it, he sets out to destroy them, and they are destroyed. Who Who's hanging out with the Sigfusons, goading them to attack the, uh, the Njalsons? At every turn, it's it's Holgerth. Now, more there's a tool in that uh, in that shed, want, but a tool but in that shed. I just want to point out that the only reason that Morth is not standing with the Sig- the Sigfusons later on is because he's afraid for his life because he's betrayed them, just like he's betrayed everybody else in the saga. Again, he I, I see him as as weak, and Holgerth is having power, and she wields her power very irresponsibly. Yeah, you don't want someone like that hanging around. Well, it's dangerous. Let me uh, let me offer this. Uh, twice before in the history of this podcast, we have felt the need to outlaw two people at once because mm. their crimes we are only did it once, and equally uh, unacceptable. Yeah, but John, we only did that once. I know you offered it as an yeah. option before, and I rejected it because it goes against the uh, the standards and and ethics of our of our. 
esteemed institution. <laughs> I'm impressed you said that with a straight face. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not inclined to, uh, to... Here's my problem. To I don't in. see either one of us budging on this. Oh. Well, I, I can tell you what. I'm not budging on Holger. Well, there you go. You know, I got to say, John, I don't like that solution at all. Um, I know you've offered it before and I reject it. But in this particular situation, um, it's been pointed out to me by some of our listeners that this is the longest mm-hmm. saga. And uh, and uh, I, I think it was uh, Simon Thomas who reminded us that uh, this is uh, a saga that some people say isn't even one saga. It's two Even sagas. though I think we've come up with the one saga solution to this, um, I do think... Oh, absolutely. I do think that we can see Hallgirth as kind of passing the baton onto Morth as the... The, again, the nemesis of Gunnar and Njal throughout this saga. Yeah. And so I think, you know, we can definitely see our way clear to outlawing the two of them as being kind of two halves of the same thing. Of a whole. Yeah, I think so too. Um, again, I don't really like it, but I, I get the, the feeling that you're not going to let uh, more th- Oh, I don't want around. him around. And I'm definitely not going to let Holger Fair hang enough. out here. So are we really outlawing two people? Well, I think we're. I think I'm comfortable with that. Mm, it's a dangerous precedent. I don't like it, but what are we going to do? <laughs> we're at an impasse. Well, the only other solution would be for you to admit that I'm right, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So it looks nope. like we're buying two boats uh, this time. <laughs> There's room enough in one boat. Why make them comfortable? Fair enough. All right. One leaky boat. Thing man. It's finally time for Thingman selection. Now, John, it's been a long time coming. Uh, Simon Thomas contact us through our uh, saga thing podcast at gmail.com email address. And uh, he implored us to take more than one thingman for this saga. He wanted us <laughs> to do like a little draft. Um, uh-huh. Simon wanted to remind us that uh, this is the longest family saga. And um, he also wanted to remind us that it's been a very long time since either of us has, has chosen been. a thingman. And, uh, these are excellent points. <laughs> he wants us to build up the ranks, and he also wants mm. to avoid a, a simple kind of Gunnar Njal decision in Thingman, mm. um, which I think we can help him with. But um, right. I, I, I'm not inclined to take two Thingmen or three Thingmen on this one. I think it makes it more interesting I, to really yeah. make us think about this and, and yeah. choose. What do you think? I mean, I think there's never been a saga where it's been more tempting yes. to grab more than one Thingman. But... I think it's far more interesting to leave some people on the table. Yeah. Rather than – I mean, God knows there have been enough sagas where we've been scraping the barrel. Yeah. I mean, I still look back at Thorkel Locke, my pick for a Robinkill saga, <laughs> and think, oh, dear Lord. Who's that? I mean, there, are just, there are just some sagas where there just aren't a lot of people to choose from. I think it's really interesting to have a saga what where What about that we uh, know infant you chose from uh, Greenlander's saga? <laughs> Snorri? No, he was fine. No, he's not fine. I think both of us have had picks that, you know – are, were taken because there was no one else. Yeah, I'll remember that at the next quarter. Certainly not going to be the case. Well, of course you would. <laughs> uh, but it's certainly not going to be the case here. Right? We're going to have to leave multiple men on the table who would have been absolutely taken ahead of anyone else in a different side. Yeah. Sadly, I, I um, totally agree with you. I, I would love to grab a couple different people here because there's so mm-hmm. many good ones. Yeah, But man, it makes it interesting to... Have, yeah, you does. have to choose just one and justify yeah. that pick yeah. and then hope that the other one shows up somewhere else. So how are we proceeding here? Well, I think uh, we did our little coin toss and yep. I won the coin toss. Yeah, you did. Um, I happen to know what saga we're doing next. Yeah. 
which has prompted me to defer, which means mm-hmm. you are going first. And I know yeah. you've you've been thinking about this. So uh, what did you come uh-huh. up with? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to point out that I think Andy, this is a this is a good move uh, making me go first. We've already chosen the next saga, and we know it's going to be far less chock a block with Thingman candidates. Absolutely. Uh, to put it mildly, so I think Andy's plan here works out nicely for him in that he's going to pick second in a saga where even the fifth pick would be a great pick. Yeah. And then he's going to pick first in a saga where there's virtually nobody. But l- let me say this, because uh, I've done yes. this before, and I think each time I've done it, I, I feel such a huge regret. <laughs> well. Because you almost always choose the guy that I really want most. No, but honestly, this time out, I mean, we both know this is going to be a tough one. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of fantastic people in this saga who would be a real get in another saga. Absolutely. Hall of Sitha, Hrut Herjolfsson. Thorger Skorgir, Guzman the Powerful, right? I mean, some of these are secondary figures and others are going to be much more important in other sagas. Yeah. So I can let those go. The real wrench is in having to leave out people who aren't going to be this important again. Yeah, like uh, Bjorn the White. <laughs> Bjorn the White. Well, yeah. uh, I'm thinking of Hoskold Fittinesgothi, Hogni Gunnarsson, mm-hmm. Grimm, Helgi, or even Skarpathen Njalsson. Yeah. Um, how do you leave how Scarpathen do we leave on the table? Those, I know. But for me, this saga is ultimately three men's stories. Gunnar Hamunderson, Njal Thorgerson, and Carrie Selmunderson. Yeah, I would agree. Those are the three that I'm thinking about. Uh, now, before I choose, Andy, I think we should acknowledge that the genius of this saga is partly in the flawed nature of its heroes. I mean, these three are brilliant, but all three have serious moral issues. Mm-hmm. Gunnar routinely undermines the law by threatening to duel and kill anyone who stands against him in his, in a lawsuit. Yes. Njal is more than a little Machiavellian and isn't above twisting the law to get what he wants. But he's so good at it. I know. And Kari is one of the jealous murderers of Haskell Thrainson, Haskell Vindeskoli, an innocent and even holy man. Yeah. Although I think that might be the only taint well, on his, uh, his name. Now, I'd be proud to add any one of these three to my ranks, but it's fair to say they all come with some baggage. Now, that's all well and good. Uh, Ultimately, I have to consider our three options. And for me, Kari Solmunderson outweighs Gunnar Flutherendi just slightly. I agree there as well. He's described more than once as the next generation's Gunnar, and his fighting ability certainly, certainly lives up to that. He's got other qualities as well, besides which I just like the guy. But there's also Njal, and he's endlessly fascinating to me. A saga hero who never lifts a weapon, who reshapes Iceland without ever committing a direct act of violence, and whose mind is so formidable, it frightens his enemies as much as his sons, swords, and axes. When I put them side by side, I, it's going to murder me to do it, but I have to take Njal Thorgerson. Oh, Interesting. And I and you know how much it hurts me to leave Kari out there. I do know, but I I I'm fascinated by Nyal. I've worked on Nyal professionally. I made the mistake once before with Onand of leaving on the table a man who I'd spent a great deal of time studying. Yeah, and taking a and, grumpy murderer. Well, and in this case, rather than taking a murderer, I'm going to take a man who goes to his grave without ever lifting a weapon in anger. Ah, uh. Nyal Thorgerson. Genius at law, 
smooth-cheeked as you are, <laughs> welcome to my thingman. That's great. You know, I, I'm, I'm, conf- I'm, I'm confused a little bit because I was certain that you would take Kari. I know how much only you because love him. you know me and have talked to me about him before. Exactly. Yeah, but you know that always obviously weighs in, and I think you know that I also love Kari. Um, and yep. had I gone first. This this all might have ended up exactly as it's ending up now because, <laughs> you know, I feel like I've got a lot of wise men on my uh, on my mm-hmm. uh, Thingman council, um, mm-hmm. but I was uh, lacking in in bruisers, and, <laughs> and and I need someone to compete with some of the guys you picked up recently. So, mm-hmm. man, I'm left with the choice of Gunnar or Kari, and I think yep. like you said, uh, there's something really appealing about Kari that. That, uh, that Gunnar lacks. Uh, so one of the things that bugs me about Gunnar is that while he is an excellent swordsman, he's, uh, he's honorable and good, he's also kind of daft. I mean, <laughs> he pursues Hogarth it against is true. everyone's best judgment. Uh-huh. He gets involved in all kinds of silly feuds and duels. Uh, all for what exactly? Whereas, but there's that there's that moral complexity of wondering whether he's less of a man than others because killing bothers him more than it bothers other men. You know what? I want a guy that's not too worried about killing, and his name wow. is Kari Salmonderson. <laughs> uh, man, uh, Gunnar's a romantic kind of character, and I, I understand uh-huh. the appeal of of Gunnar. But but if I'm thinking about who I want as my thingman, I want a guy <laughs> who can escape a burning house. Yeah, you do, and can pursue people across continents. To, uh, to affect the vengeance that's needed. So if, if he's the last one that survives out of all my group after Greta's done kind of mauling the crowd, <laughs> uh, I feel confident that Kari's going to get the job done. And, yes. and I'm very, very happy. Uh, though I would have I liked Njal to join. Um, I'm very happy to take Kari Solmunderson into my ranks. I think there's a good choices all around. I, I think, think so too. Uh, adding adding Njal to a stable of Thingmen that already includes Scoffy Lawspeaker and Snorri Gothi means that I am definitely building a bit of a brain trust here. But yeah. uh, I don't see any Thorgir Gothi on your on your group, and he's look, quite formidable. Oh, well, Thorgir Gothi. <laughs> I, I challenge you to even tell me who he is right now. Uh, <laughs> he was in y'all Kari Solmunderson. Yes, there he is. Uh, Kari Solmunderson is a great choice, and I won't yeah. say a word against him. No, and I likewise, I won't say a thing against y'all. No, I think the problem here is that there are too many good men in this saga. Uh, but we've both uh, filled our bags, and it's time to go. Could we could, just really quick? Could we maybe share them back and forth, like a like we're divorced and we got to <laughs> split custody? <laughs> well, you know, it's a father in law, son in law. They can uh, yeah. They can, can I see y'all every once in a while? Just send him by. <laughs> we won't hurt him. All right, great choice. Final, Final rating. rating. All right, and at long. Long last, we come to Final Judgments, where we'll each uh, offer just a few thoughts before giving a rating from a scale of 1 to 10. And uh, since I was uh, shoved to the four in choosing Thingman, Andy, you get to go first <laughs> on Final Judgments. What do you got? All uh, right. Well, I mean, a scale of 1 to 10. I mean, where does Njalsaga rate on that? Q. I, it, <laughs> it, it's an interesting question, and I, I suppose the answer depends a lot on what you're looking for in a saga. Um, I think that's true of all the ones we've read. Uh, it's reasonable to argue that this saga has something for everyone, though. Uh, we've got a carefully constructed regional saga with a compelling story to tell. It's also a biographical saga with beautifully drawn characters who I think reflect an awareness of the complexities of human nature. Mm-hmm. And there are love stories here 
and broken hearts and scorned lovers and engaging villains and gallant heroes. But uh, Njalsaga is more than that. It's also the history of Iceland, its people and the customs, mores and conflicts that define their lives. And at the same time, the saga transcends Iceland itself uh, through its carefully wrought plotting of the conflicts and the characters who get caught up in them with an elegant attention to their motivations, their emotions, and complex psychologies, this author has provided his audience with a brilliant study of human nature. Now, I remember thinking about this after reading the saga for the first time. Mm -hmm. And if you look carefully through this saga, uh, nearly everything one could want to know about the human experience is covered somewhere in its pages. I'll say nearly, not everything. Um, (laughs) Now, that doesn't mean y'all's saga is perfect. I think one could take issue with the foreign interludes in particular, especially the Klontarf episode. Uh, But before docking the saga points for spending too much time in foreign lands, uh, it's worth considering that these episodes are an essential part of the genre. Um, This is where the Icelander gets to strut on the national stage and make his presence known. It's also important, I think, from a saga structuring standpoint to provide a temporal transition through an interlude and... And these interludes often echo the themes and action of the previous section while at the same time foreshadowing what's to come. And I can't fault Njal's saga for any of these interludes. And as much as the Klontarf episode feels rushed, it I think it amplifies the feud themes of Iceland to an international scale. So I'll be honest, John, mm-hmm. as we finish the saga, because of the Klontarf episode, I was honestly thinking about giving it a 9 or a 9.5, mm-hmm. but... In preparing for the judgment section, as often happens, I, I dig a little bit deeper and I, I reflect. And man, Njal Saga is the saga saga that there is. <laughs> it's the crown jewel of Icelandic literature. Njal Saga is a perfect 10. Wow. Mm. There it is. Andy finally uncorks a 10. I had to. How could I not? I understand. Njal Saga. I understand. Uh, I mean... You know, I don't really know how I follow that up. I mean, uh, the fact is, we're getting close to 18 hours in on Yal Saga at this point. It would probably have been easier and maybe faster to just write a saga ourselves. And and yet, despite all the points you just made, I'm having to restrain myself from launching into half a dozen different analyses of Njal, Scarpathen, Kari, Halder, yeah. and on and on. I still want to talk about a dozen critical perspectives. I want to work out all the implications of Njal's beardlessness. I want to map the Christian undercurrents of the story once and for all. There's just no exhausting this saga. But there is such a thing Uh-oh. as exhausting me. So, I, <laughs> so it's just your grumpiness. So I'm going to resist the urge to take one more trawl through the material. I think we've said enough to demonstrate that Njal earns its place as the most famous of the sagas, and that it deserves to be considered one of the greatest works of medieval Europe. I admire this saga for the depth of its characters, but more so for the depth of its world. Njal's saga is a fully realized place, and even the background characters have fully formed stories and reasons for the things they do. The only reason the tapestry of this story doesn't overwhelm the narrative completely is that its story and its characters are so strong. I mean, is there an action sequence anywhere else in the sagas to compare to Scarpathen skating across a frozen river to smash Thrain Sigvison in the face? Or a narrative climax to match the burning at Berthusfjall? Or the grace note of Gunnar's fate being sealed because he can't bear to turn his back on the raw beauty of Iceland? This isn't a saga. This is Njal's saga, and it lives up to the hype. My only criticism, if I could invent one for the text, is that its richness leads the story to become a little shaggy at times. 
When I gave a perfect 10 to Gizli Saga, one of the things I praised was how it did so much with so little. Characters were fully formed in a few sentences. In this saga, characters are given room to expand and to breathe, and they become richer for it. We talked last time about that long Klontarf digression at the end of the saga, but there are other moments. The Njalsons in Norway, or the amount of time spent on Hrut's story in the early chapters, where the author seems to be almost reporting a story uh, rather than shaping it. It's an art that sort of underlies art. It's all good and it's quite interesting, and it does occasionally come at the expense of a tightly constructed narrative, but it creates a verisimilitude that I don't think any other saga can quite match. Ultimately, I can't really critique Njal's saga. It, it is atypical, and I'm a little, I was a little unsure about how to rate it. I, I think I too have to give it a perfect score. Ooh. So, uh, let's call it. It's a 20. It's a 20 for Njal's saga, which there's, there's another saga or two out there that might be able to compete, but yep. it's going to be hard. Yep. Like I said, Crown Jewel. Absolutely. And deserves and, it. And you said verisimilitude, which uh, I like. Well, and that uh, that somehow brings us to the end of Njal Saga. Oh my gosh, I, I wish I'd gotten a bottle of bubbly for the occasion. Really? Yeah, we should be out drinking. Well, I mean, we are drinking. We're just... <laughs> but I said out drinking. Right, we should know? be somewhere else drinking. Celebrate. But, uh, but instead, we will just uh, put our heads down and dig into the next saga. Oh my gosh. And before you know it, you'll have another episode. Uh, well, wait, but the next thing we're putting up is not a saga, I believe. It's a special episode. Uh, that's right, John. We've uh, we've got a quick saga brief that we've been sitting on for quite some time, mm-hmm. uh, foolishly hoping that we'd finish Njal Saga. Now, some <laughs> of our listeners might remember that uh, John and I went to a conference in Denver several months back to talk about saga thing and podcasting in academia. Well, we were fortunate enough to make a new friend there, Dr. Ronghild Ljosland, uh, from the University of Highlands and Islands in the Orkneys. Now, she's an expert in runology, and she was kind enough to sit down with us for an informal interview about runes and runestones. A very patient woman who put up with our ridiculous questions uh, and was very kind to give up some time to talk to us in the middle of the conference. Yeah, so you've got a great saga brief to look forward to in the next few weeks, followed by a brand new saga that is most definitely not Njal saga. <laughs> in the meantime, please get in touch with us and let us know what you think of our judgments, what we did right, and what horrible, unforgivable mistakes we made. And you can reach us on Twitter at SagaThingPod, on Facebook at SagaThingPodcast, and on email where we are SagaThingPodcast at gmail.com. Or uh, go conceive a child, carry it to full term, and name it Nyal. All of which you could do in the time it's taken us to actually cover this saga. And don't forget to review our podcast and be sure to tell all your friends about the best podcast on old Norse Icelandic literature. And uh, here's a little tip. Uh, If you call it Viking literature, they might actually give it a try. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Somewhere King Alfred is rolling over in his grave, <laughs> but gingerly. <laughs>